tonight on Arena. Jan Carson on her new novel, The Raptures, and we preview the new BBC series, Andy Warhol's America. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the program at RTE Arena. What better news on the first week of 2022 than a new novel from Jan Carson? The Raptures is set in the small fictional Northern Irish town of Ballylack in the early 1990s. The book focuses on the 10-year-old Hannah Adger, whose summer is thrown into disarray when her classmates start succumbing to a deadly and mysterious illness. It explores how tragedy can both unite and tear apart a small community. Jan's last novel, The Firestarters, was awarded the EU Prize for Literature in 2019. She's been shortlisted for the Sean O'Fuelon Short Story Prize in 2016. And in the same year, she won the Harper's Bazaar Short Story Prize. Delighted to have Jan Carson join me on the programme this evening. Happy New Year to you, Jan. Thank you, Sean. Happy New Year to you too. I see, and I read that you have said that The Raptures was the book that you'd wanted to write for 20 years. Now, that list of awards will give us a, give us a sense that <laughs> you've been busy for the last 20 years. But why have you wanted to write this book or what has stopped you writing it? Tell us about that particular aspect. Well, I think this is probably the closest to home I've ever come with my writing. It's it's set in a fictional village outside Ballymena where I grew up and it very much deals with the world I grew up in. And that's scary. Um, you know, the closer you get to home, the harder it is to write honestly and with balance and nuance. So I guess I have tried to write this book a number of times over the years and always felt I'm not quite ready for it yet. It was coming out bitter or it was coming out rose tinted um, and it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I felt ready and mature as a writer to take it on. Yeah, so you wanted to avoid either, uh, you, you just wanted to avoid a simplistic portrayal of your own community in many ways. And I guess that's what that is, what is at the heart of the book, really, particularly in the in the character of the young person of Hannah. She lives in, in a community and particularly in a family who are evangelical Protestants. You might explain the nature of that community and the importance of faith to, to Hannah and her family and to people in that community. Well, I think, you know, Protestant culture has been explored quite a lot in, in art across the island. Um, but there's not been an awful lot of exploration of that kind of particular, you know, what you might call a born again kind of culture where, you know, faith goes really deeply into people. They believe it. They live their life by these standards. It's their moral compass. It's their community. And, and yet, particularly up here in the north, it's still there's still a huge community of evangelical Protestants. Um, and um, that's the community that I grew up in and I'm still on the peripheries of. So I, I wanted to write about that. And, and give us a, the specifics of, did you feel, you said the Protestant culture has been written about, did you feel your particular type of Protestantism was underrepresented or was easily dismissed or what was the story there? I think it's just it's a, a really hard community to write about because, you know, there, there's lots of issues. For example, you know, I grew up with real distrust of art in the kind of theology that I grew up with. So it's hard to write about that community from within it. In the same way, it's hard to write honestly about conservative um, 
Muslim communities or conservative um, Hasidic Jewish communities, as soon as you begin to question and to critique, um, you know, a lot of people have moved outside of the community by that stage. So I think partially that's why there's not been a lot of honest writing. You know, if you do go back to things like Sam Hannibal's December Bride, which is one of my favourite novels, you know, there, there are explorations of that faith-driven kind of community further back, but maybe not so much in contemporary writing. And, and I suppose Hannah and her family are very typical of this particular style of evangelical Protestantism in that the Bible is hugely important, the pastor is hugely important, and maybe the title of the book, The Raptures, gives us a sense of, of the nature of mm. the almost the giving over to religious and, and almost a, a kind of a I don't know obsession. I'm looking for searching for that word where you're where you're consumed by something almost. Yeah, well, you know what the rapture is. Well, that's what I'm gonna do. Why don't you explain it? Um, <laughs> so the, the rapture within kind of evangelical Protestant language that I grew up with, it's that idea that the elect, the kind of God's chosen people, will be lifted out of the world before the really bad stuff happens at the end of the world. So I was always terrified as a child if you came home and there was nobody in the house, you'd be like, "Oh crap, the raptures have happened," and I. <laughs> and it wasn't about. <laughs> uh, so it's a double play kind of on that. Yeah, but but just tease that out a bit further for me then. Did that leave you growing up and does that leave the, the characters in your book, I suppose, in many ways? Does, does it leave them with that sense of being saved? No matter what happens, we're going to be OK. I think so. And I think that's what Hannah's coming to terms with. You know, she's on the cusp of a lot of things in this novel. She's about to move to big school. She's having this traumatic event in her life where it's causing her to question this certainty that she's had until that point. You know, it's a it's quite a simplistic faith in a way. You know, we are the chosen and we will be grand. And suddenly Hannah isn't so sure of all of those things. She's beginning to question stuff. Um, and I think writing in the from the perspective of a child allows you to ask those big questions in a really honest kind of um, almost non-cynical way. Um, and that I think that's mm. probably why I'm drawn to writing children quite so, so much. Uh, the other aspect of this, I suppose, is how would the evangelical Protestants be viewed within the, the broader, the wider Protestant community? Um, I mean, I wouldn't like to kind of make sweeping generalizations, mm. but, you know, they're there is a kind of wariness sometimes there. They're a very, very easy community to pastiche. And that's something that I wanted to avoid desperately with this novel. I want it to maintain nuance where, you know, there's critique there for things that need to be critiqued. And I think for me, the role of women is perhaps this, this, the biggest thing that's critiqued in this novel. But I also wanted to celebrate some of the beautiful things about the community, the kind of sense of, you know, caring for each other and um, providing and being kind. And those are all values that I grew up with very strongly. So I, I wanted that balance there rather than a pastiche. Yeah, and I suppose the, the other side of it is with uh, in terms of this community, you're looking at uh, a group of young children who are all, becoming very ill and dying very quickly. But Hannah sees the people who die immediately afterwards. There's a magic realism involved in it. And that's been a that's been a, a, a trademark of your work from, mm. from the very start. Do you think that's linked in in any way to your background in, in evangelical Protestantism? Okay, I often say that my first church experience was a two-year sermon series on the book of Revelation and there's nothing more magical realist in the world than that. 
um, I think it's a dangerous thing to expose a, a young writer to, um, you know, the horsemen of the apocalypse and the, the beast and all of those things. It was just conjuring lots of imagery in my head. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that's that's been there from very early on for me. But I was particularly interested in this. Um, this is a, a kind of it sounds almost Presbyterian because there's three points and they all um, have alliteration. <laughs> but I was really interested in how the kind of the mythical, the magical and the miraculous interplay in a lot of Northern Irish culture. So, you know, in church backgrounds, we're quite often comfortable with miraculous elements. And we also have this bedrock of kind of mythology and folklore and it's practiced here in the novel and there's there's a cure, there's a rag tree. And I wanted to chuck in the magic element as well, just to unsettle things. But the three of them all kind of talk to each other within the book as well. Yeah, you, you might talk a little bit. So at, at the one level, we have a, a, the Hannah and her family who would very much be faith based. And there's a sense of, well, leave it to the Lord and the Lord will look after his own. There's there's a sense of that going on in how they're approaching things at, at, at one level. Um, then we have this raggedy tree. Uh, explain what that is. It's, it's a rag tree, which you'll also often find beside holy wells, um, you know, where people go to almost um, make, you know, they tie on a piece of material that's um, associated with someone they want to pray for, make a wish for. I mean, they're interesting to me because now in, in Ireland, they're, you know, almost entirely associated with Catholic um, mm. sites, but they're actually pretty Christian. So you often find in these kind of um, they, they sprout up in places that are associated with kind of almost pagan times. Um, and there is one of these just outside on the outskirts of Ballylac, which um, gets drawn into, you know, people's response to this tragedy. You know, they do turn to religion and prayer, but they also turn to some of the older ways of dealing with things as well. And and was that a place that, I mean, Hannah in the book is... Uh, it, is not really allowed. It's considered to be an occasional sin to be going near this raggedy tree. In yeah. fact, in any way, shape, or form, was that something that you would have experienced growing up? To was it was it oh, out of yeah. bounds? Absolutely. You know, there was a real fear of it. It's mentioned in the novel, isn't you know, letting the devil have a foothold. Um, anything to do with kind of Halloween or magical practice or things like that. And yet I did find when I was doing research for this this book, I did find within kind of rural Presbyterian culture a real kind of use of cures. Mm. So you would get these older men and farmers who were, you know, desperately kind of afraid of anything magical, but they were, you know, rubbing a potato and burying it in the backyard. <laughs> so I, I'm interested just in that interplay and how how we've kind of rationalised things sometimes. Yeah, because um, I'm interested that you said that that's there in the Presbyterian uh, culture as well, because I, I would have thought the cure was a particularly Catholic thing too, but from what you're saying, no. No, not, not in the community that I grew up in. I talked to a number of farmers that, that told me about cures for this and cures for that. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of those things even predate our mm. idea of kind of organised religion. Yeah, uh, so, so possibly possibly that's part of it. That's there. You mentioned the devil along the way there and that that, that might be the very boy that would be hanging around the raggedy tree or who'd be trying to <laughs> lure you into his ways out that part of the way. Jerry Adams doesn't come out of the book too well, does he really? The backdrop here is, is, is the troubles to the novel, obviously. Yeah. And Jerry Adams often described as the devil, maybe even worse. <laughs> 
uh, you're, you're putting words in my mouth. Um, Hannah, uh, Hannah's just reflecting kind of what she's heard from adults right. and, and spilling it back at us. But I think it's an interesting point. It is, it's set in 1993 and the, the troubles are still there in the background, but I very much didn't want to write a troubles novel. And it would have been very easy to write a, a major incident to explore how the village responds, which was, you know, a bomb or a shooting. Yeah. And it's very much not that. It's more an exploration of how small rural communities respond to a tragedy. And I think in that way, it could be paralleled any small rural community anywhere in the world, really. But given that uh, those are words that Hannah utters and maybe she is repeating what she what she has heard, would that reflect the sort of uh, attitude that would have been in, in Ballymena for you when you were growing up? Okay, thanks. I think so. You know, whenever I was born in 1980 in Ballymena, and it was still a very strong Paisley town in those days. And, you know, I often joke about um, there was a big sign when you came in that said Ballymena still says no. And we were so terrified of dancing was the big sin back then. I thought it was a reference to line dancing <laughs> until I was quite, quite old. So, you know, that those, you know, I think those attitudes have changed a lot now, but it, it, that was the environment that I grew up in very much so. The other thing that it's, and, and this is, I've, I've had this experience on several occasions in the past two years, particularly in the case of novel writing, because it's not something that you do in, in a few weeks, you sit down and, and start to write a novel <laughs> and suddenly it's there. You, we are dealing with a, a, a plague, if you like, in some ways, yeah. or an illness that's striking these young children. There's a desperate search for an antidote, you know, not too far, but big a distance from a vaccine, I suppose, in, in some ways. Uh, but yet you were writing all of this pre-pandemic, before there was any mention of COVID. Uh, it's terrifying, Sean, because um, I handed it the final draft of it in November 2019, and it started to come a bit true about two weeks after that. And some similar things happened with the fire starters of you know things there mm. began to kind of uh, manifest themselves in Belfast quite soon after it came out so a little bit terrified that I've either got a prophetic gift or some kind of curse I'm not no, sure which. <laughs> maybe there was a magic realism at work there but you have said that magic realism is a way of writing about a community uh, I, I suppose about the socio-political situation of a community mm. but it's a, it's a kind of an oblique way of approaching it does it is that did that make it easier to write this book about Northern Ireland but in a kind of a sideways look on I think so and I think for me my use of the kind of magical and the fantastical is always to grab the attention of the reader and to maybe shake them out of a story they think they've heard before. And I think mm. another another thing that happens in, in The Raptures, I'm always keen to say this, like it is quite a funny book as well. Which <laughs> it is, yeah. You talk about a plague and evangelical Protestantism, it doesn't scream humour. <laughs> but humour is another way that, you know, you try and arrest people. You, mm. you think you know Presbyterians, but actually they can be quite funny sometimes uh, is as that well. you Is that you gurning at me then? Is that the way I'd yeah. have to put that? Because we have, we have lots of, I suppose, what is essentially Ulster Scots in the midst of all of this, Garnin and Thran being some of the words that 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 spring out to mind. Was it important to, to you for you to have that kind of colloquial aspect to the language as well? Yeah, I mean, it, it's actually really freeing because that's the way I speak, um, and it's just it's so freeing to be allowed to do that mm. in literature and to you know quite often I think we have apologised for our language in the past we've explained things and contextualised things for readers outside of Ireland and you don't get that with writers around yeah. the world they just get on with using their own words and expect people to understand them in context yeah. so 
hopefully this is the revival of, uh, you know, Ballymena lyricism. I don't know. <laughs> Ballymena lyricism. That'll be a new genre of fiction before long, if you, long if you have anything to do with it, Jan. And finally, I, I think it's beautiful that the, the Raptures, the book, opens with a nod to Lear McKee in the quote, it won't always be like this. It's mm-hmm. going to get better. Was it important to you? To, I mean, that's a very, was, was it a direct nod in that direction? Yeah, I mean, I I had that essentially, and it's been interesting a few friends have pointed this out, it is a book about our young people and the expectations that we've put on, you know, the generation that, that came next, that they are going to change the future and make everything okay here. Um, and I, I wanted, I had Lyra in my head quite a lot when I was writing it. So I, her partner, Sarah, gave me permission to include that. And I was very gracious of her. But, I'm, you know, I hope I hope I've done her justice, um, particularly the, the last chapter. I want it to end on a hopeful note. I don't want to give any spoilers, yeah. but. Yeah, um, there, there is yeah. hope. There is hopefulness there. Jan, lovely to speak with you. Congratulations on the book and hope to see you soon. Thanks, Sean. That's Jan Carson speaking to us about her new novel, The Raptures, which is published this week by Double Day Ireland.